The book of Psalms, these prayers, laments, and songs of praise are meant to become our own. They are poems for exiles who are learning to live by God's wisdom and to seek God's justice in the world as they hope for the coming Messiah in the kingdom of God. Exiles, when they were taken out of Israel, their homeland, before they were able to come back, but this isn't a book merely about history. For this is the hymn book, the playlist, for all of God's people at all of time until the Lord Jesus Christ comes back and establishes his physical reign with a new heaven and a new earth. And in one sense, we can look back on the Israelites and their time of exile and how this book, the this book of Psalms, helped them stay connected and, and connect with God. But we are exiles. Maybe you felt like an exile this week. Something happened in your personal life, in your family life, something that didn't go the way that you thought. And you're sitting before God sometimes going, oh God, what in the world is going on? Why did this happen? Or, or now where do I turn? Or what's going on? God, where are you in all of this? Have you had those times in your life where you don't even know how to cry out to God, how to pray, how to talk to Him, and you just sort of sit dumbfounded on your bed, can't fall asleep, tossing and turning here and there? I want to encourage you to open to the Psalms. The Psalms are towards the middle part of your Bibles, and then take it towards the back a little bit, and you will find 150 Psalms that will help you connect with God. They will help you deal with your emotions. So much of Scripture is about God talking to us, but the Psalms help us know how to talk back to God. How many times as a young boy and a teenager did I come down from upstairs and I would find my mom reading her Scriptures in the corner of the living room by the lamp and I would ask my mom, what are you reading? And she says, I'm reading the Psalms. Now, I don't know what it was when I was younger, but the Psalms didn't really light my fire. The Psalms were a little bit of a struggle for me. But I tell you what, the older you get and the more you move through life, the more you have emotions and other types of anxiety and, and uh, laments and, and heart cries that just need to be lifted to God. And the more you need to hear wisdom from Him. And the more that I find the opportunity to hear not only God speak to me in the Psalms, but to hear God listen to me cry out to him. David was the person who wrote most of the Psalms. Actually, at least eight, if not many more people, or anonymous writers, wrote the Psalms. 150 Psalms. It contains the largest chapter in Scripture, Psalm 119. It also contains the smallest chapter, two verses. The Psalms vary from different categories different genre, if you will, contained in this big picture from the beginning to the end. You have these kinds of psalms, different playlists, if you will. You have wisdom psalms, which are teaching and guidance. You have royal psalms or messianic psalms that, that forecast the coming of Jesus Christ. Lament songs, which are cries for deliverance. Oh, God, help me. Imprecatory psalms, you probably don't use that word too much in your life, but they were actually psalms invoking judgment. David spent a lot of time writing poems about, God, do them in, man, they're doing me wrong. Can we actually say that to God? 
Well, his hunger was for righteousness and goodness. And so the precatory psalms are scattered throughout. There's the Thanksgiving songs of gratefulness, pilgrim songs, road trip journey songs. You got road trip music you'd put on? What did they do when they were walking from one place to another? I mean, these were not short little jaunts. They had no bicycles, right? They, they could ride a horse or a donkey or something like that, right? But they would sing together. They would pray together. They would shout together. Some of the psalms, they were pilgrimage psalms. And then enthronement psalms. Psalms about God's majesty, rule, and care. You're going to find those scattered throughout. But what I want to do here this morning, just briefly, is sort of set up all of the psalms by looking at the first psalm. The first psalm starts out this way, Psalm 1. Blessed is the one who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, or stand in the way of sinners, or sit in the seat of mockers. If you had to give a definition for the word blessed, what would it mean to you? Blessed. Scripture starting out, blessed. Jesus, Sermon on the Mount. Blessed are these people. Blessed are these people. What does the word blessed mean? Well, you can look into a dictionary kind of idea, but really if you take up the whole context of the Psalms and Scriptures themselves, blessed really has a connotation of happiness but it's not the superficial happiness it's a joyful deep-seated long-lasting eternal spirit of happiness did you come into church this morning looking to be happy 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 well i don't know if you came into church looking to be happy 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 but when you go out into the world into the highways and the byways of life every week they're all pushing for us to be happy how do we live a happy life Well, Scripture teaches us how to be happy, but not a superficial happiness, a long-lasting, deep-seated happiness that has joy and peace and longing in it. So why, I ask you, why would we not spend time studying Scripture or ruminating on the Psalms or thinking about them, praying them? Scripture has been given to us for the purpose of us becoming a blessed kind of people, a blessed individual, a blessed home. And so it starts out simply by saying, blessed is the one, anyone. Blessed is the one, and then it starts into enumerating the negative side of things. Blessed is the one who does not walk in the council of the wicked, or stand in the way of sinners, or sit in the seat of mockers, but whose delight is in the law of the Lord, and who meditates on his law day and night. So let's go back to verse 1. In verse 1, you've got three different triads. You've got walk, stand, and sit. You've got counsel, way, and seat you got wicked sinners and mockers. Is that just sort of random? Is that sort of just there? Or is there some type of context to that? Well, blessed is the one who does not walk or stand or sit. Could it be that there's maybe a progression of that? You know, like you're, you're, you're just walking down the road, you're walking past people, you're walking, and then all of a sudden you, you stop and you sort of stand and you, you take a look in, and then it's like, oh, wait a second, I, I think I'm just going to pull up a seat there and, 
and then you're sort of taking a seat. You're sitting down. It appears to be that way in the scripture, that there's, there's some type of movement that happens with the other side of the equation of people being blessed. Is that you're not to walk in the council. The council, what's, what's that mean? Well, the council is just somebody interacting with you. Hey, I think you ought to do this or forget that. Don't go over there. That's not a cool restaurant or whatever it may be, council, right? But if you're just walking, you're grabbing that council, but then maybe... You stop in the way and you stand in the way and that's another seat. And then you take an opportunity just to sit down. Or in another version of the NIV, it says company. And I think that's maybe a good term as well. But what does it mean, don't walk in the counsel of the wicked? That's, That's pretty harsh right up front. Well, wicked is just a general, generic term for evil. Stand in the way of sinners. Sinners seems to have more of a a practice to it. Instead of not just getting the counsel from wicked, you actually start participating in those acts that are sinful. And then the idea of mockers, the company of mockers are being seated in mockers. Man, those are braggers. (laughs) Yeah! Look at that, you crazy religious nut! Right? There seems to appear in this very first psalm up front as it's put in the context everything, and you're going to find this throughout the psalms, the wicked, the righteous, those kinds of things, is that there is warning about who you're not only listening to, but who you are participating with in life and the disposition of the heart towards the things of God. And so the warning's right up front. Do not walk in the counsel of the wicked. Do not stand in the way of sinners. And do not sit in the seat of mockers. But the comparison to that, if you're not going to do those things, because those things don't lead to a blessed, long-term, happy, fulfilling life, then what am I supposed to do? It says, but whose delight is in the law of the Lord, and who meditates on his law day and night. And what does law mean? That's sort of a heavy term. That doesn't sound fun to me, especially if I'm a young adult. I mean, that's, really? I gotta, no, law simply means it was the Torah, which means instruction. It was God's instruction. It's not just God's instructions. Like, it would be wrong to translate law as the Ten Commandments. It's beckoning us to take in the whole counsel of God, the instructions of God, what is ultimate reality and ultimate truth. So if you were to take that word and look at it through various portions of Scripture, you're finding yourself engrossed in the full counsel of God. Now, the interesting thing here is that, you know, a lot of times we're thinking, well, that's, that's uh, sort of going to be a downer to me. If I'm going to look into Scripture, I'm going to find out that I'm, I am not measuring up. I'm not measuring up. Well, another psalm says this, Psalm 32 Verse 1, blessed is the one whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Blessed is the one whose uh, sin the Lord does not count against them and whose spirit is no deceit. And in whose spirit is no deceit. Blessed, happy is the one who recognizes that even though the law, the counsel, the instruction of the Lord, it's not there to beat you up to say you are a terrible person It does highlight truth. It highlights the gap that we have with perfection and the perfect God. But the scriptures teach us that God made a way and a provision by which our sins can be forgiven through Jesus Christ. 
1 Peter 2.24 says, He Himself bore our sins in His body on the cross so that we might die to the sins and live for righteousness. For by His wounds you have been healed. And in Titus 2, verse 13, Jesus Christ, who gave Himself for us to redeem us from all wickedness and to purify for Himself a people that are His very own, eager to do what is good. So this fear of being able to go into the law and not finding that there is great hope for those of us who are sinners actually does teach that. Because scriptures say all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That whole aspect of of not being able to um, be in the way of sinners is not an instruction. Jesus was known as a friend of what? Sinners. You are called to be in the world. God's not taking you out of the world. He prayed that you'd be protected from the world. The call is for you as a sinner to find redemption and transformation, to be blessed, and then engage with a world that needs that same blessing. But there's a big, big distinguishing mark between those who interface with the counsel of the wicked because they want to influence it, and those who are there to be accepted by that group. And so it's a slippery slope, and sometimes you can have good intentions. Oh, I'm there to try to, try to give counsel and to, and to speak righteousness and to live for Jesus Christ, but then there's this subtle turning where no longer are you walking, but now you're standing, and now you're seated, and then you slowly slip and move into a disposition of not being a God-hater, but being indifferent to God, and you're out looking for your own self-fulfillment in life. Because that's the way of the world. And so the psalmist says, be careful, be wise. Do not fall into this way. But what you need to do, and the thing it says here, it doesn't say, wouldn't it make sense to say, who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked? Why doesn't it say, but, but you should walk in the counsel of the godly, Right? Why doesn't it say that? Or you should uh, stand in the way of uh, people who, who do good things for God. Or you should uh, sit uh, with those who are grateful and gracious. It doesn't do that. It doesn't have this context of um, action. Instead, it says something that's more internal, that's deeper. It says that you need to delight yourself in the law of God. And you need to meditate. So instead of getting up and get going and doing this activity, being around, it says, slow down, pause. Take moment to take the scriptures in hand and learn and discern and delight yourself. Meditate on God's word, his full instruction, his full counsel, ultimate reality and truth. You ever had a course where you were trying to study for the course and the course was not going that great it was a lot of heavy stuff and you just had to discipline yourself and you studied and you got the stuff down you took the test you passed the test and you say good i'm done with that well good job you had great discipline but delight is different than discipline delight is when you do something and then you have a hunger to do more of it like oh that was a really good novel 
I want to read some more. Excuse me, i got to go take some time to do this. Or, or maybe it's something else that you're learning, you're trying to figure out, a do-it-yourself kind of project. And you just have great delight in learning that. That's what the word here is saying. Delight yourself in the Scripture and meditate on it. Now, they didn't have Bibles. They didn't have scriptures like we have it written today. So they learned it by oral tradition. So you would sit in a room like this, and you would learn to memorize and to repeat. And that's how it was passed down from one generation. If you've memorized something, and you're trying to repeat it, you might find yourself doing something that's associated with the word meditate. And it's the word murmuring. What are you doing? Now I know some of us, that's just happening as we get older. We're just trying to figure out. My wife told me the other day, I do a count of five. You know, one for my glasses, my keys, my wallet, my phone, and my laptop. One, two, three, four, five. I count. And she said she saw something post on Facebook the other day that says, you know, the, uh, the older version of head and shoulders, knees and toes is one, two, three, four, five. <laughs> So I'm not talking about that kind of murmuring to yourself. But the murmuring where you're meditating on something you've memorized or understood from God. And you're trying to seek that counsel and allow that counsel to be embedded deep within you. I want to list some names for you adults. You ready for this? This is a little bit of a test. I don't know if you'll pass this test. Have you ever heard of these people? Dolan Twins, Jake Paul, Toddy Westbrook, James Charles, PewDiePie. (laughs) Students, have you ever heard some of those names? Where are those names from? YouTube. Do you know that today people that are younger sometimes don't watch all those beautiful cable channels that we were given in our generation? They go to YouTube. And on YouTube, you have people that were not famous, that just tried to be famous. I don't fully know the whole world. Don't think I'm trying to live in your world. But I'm like, <laughs> this PewDiePie guy, he's, he's a Swedish social media influencer. And I actually went online and listened to some of his YouTubes this week. And that was not a, an enjoyable experience. <laughs> and I would not encourage you guys to go and listen to him either. But I watched him enough to go, what's the guy doing? This is what he does with his life. Do you know how many followers he has? He's the number one, at least he was last year, uh, social media. uh, 120 million followers. Making over $20 million a year. By posting YouTube videos of just him doing stupid stuff or talking about different things. And they're creatively done in some regard. Their energy. And you just want to watch him. Oh, I'm going to watch the next day. I'm going to watch the next day. And it becomes a whole drama. Things are playing out. I was talking to Joe about it actually yesterday. And this uh, Toddy Westbrook, she is a, a fashion design kind of person, a lot of followers. And she was having a friendship with uh, uh, James Charles. And did I get that right? You're all going, where's the pastor going today? But I see you're all with me a lot more right now than you were just five minutes ago. And so she posted and said something about James Charles, that he was wrong or he was lying, this and that. He lost, what was it, Joe? He lost 33 million followers within 
30 hours. And then to come find out what Toddy said wasn't necessarily right or trying to make amends. And I I just read last night, because I'm up on this stuff now, right? I just read last night. (laughs) Thank you. I just read read last night that James Charles has canceled his tour because he's just not at a good emotional place to go out and be with people. (laughs) See, you maybe are worried about your young people being influenced by others at school. But they're being influenced all the time through electronic media, just like you were influenced by television and you're influenced by following blogs and people who post. Here's my simple point on all this, and thanks for having fun with it. Could it be that you spend more of your time walking in the counsel of the wicked, standing in the way of sinners, and sitting in the seat of mockers rather than delighting on the instruction and the law of the Lord and meditating on it day and night? And you wonder why you're not happy. Because it's not deep-seated in who you are and all that God intends for you to know. The grand alternative to sin is joy and delight in God and in His truth. I get so weary of seeing error, stupidity, on opinion shows and programs, just poor counsel. I say, oh God, may your truth prevail. And it's not about Bible-thumping people. It's a hunger. It's a delight. I want to know this. I want to ruminate. I want to, to murmur it through in my life. I want to delight in God and all of His truth. I do not want to walk in the pathway of sin. The person is like a tree, it goes on to say in verse 3. It's an analogy. Planted by the streams of water, which yields its fruit in season, and whose leaf does not wither. Do you have an image of a tree beside a river or a stream? In my mother's house, actually, I gave her and dad a picture of this psalm. And if I was to walk into her bedroom today, it's on the wall. And it's a lush, mossy kind of environment where the trees are just sucking up, sucking up the water from the river. That's the image that's given to you in Psalm 1 of what you need to do with God's instruction and His counsel. And then it says, whatever they do prospers. Now, first of all, you might say, well, wait a second. There's scriptures that talk about you not prospering if you're with God. Is that a prosperity gospel? This prosperity that's referred to here is of a much bigger picture. It's a bigger picture of all that God is doing. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? Is God who justifies? Who is he then that condemns? Christ Jesus, who died more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. What shall separate us from the love of God? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake, we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. That's another psalm. No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. 
It's one of those passages I've memorized that I murmur a little bit, right? Oh, Lord, you know, we're like sheep to be slaughtered. What do you mean we're going to prosper? That doesn't fit. But the prosper here is not the limited vision. Who shall ultimately separate us from the love of God? Where is your joy at in the eternal things of the kingdom of God? 1 Corinthians 15 says this, verse 55, Where, O death, is your victory? Where, O death, is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God. He gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, dear brothers and sisters, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourself fully to the work of the Lord because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. Why did Paul, why was he able to say that? Because he had long-term delight and meditation in the Word of God, longing for the kingdom, knowing the Messiah had come through Jesus Christ, and knowing that the big picture, we win, we prosper, we're on the winning side. And the prosperity of those around us is fleeting. Or Luke 14, verse 13, but when you give a banquet, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed. Although they cannot repay you, you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. The grand alternative to sin is joy and delight in God and His truth. For in the end, for in the end and in all things, Through Christ, you will prosper. So embrace it. Rejoice in it. This is who I am today. I am blessed because I'm not walking and standing and sitting in that way, but I'm delighting and I'm meditating on the Word of God, His ultimate counsel, the big epic story, the ultimate show, if I can say that. And in the end, we win. And because we win then, then in all things today, we can win as well. Verse 4 then says, Not so the wicked. They are like chaff that the wind blows away. Oh, I think they're doing pretty good there on YouTube. All those things. I didn't make that much money on YouTube. I think I ought to start doing some selfies. (laughs) Have at it. I'm sure there's good ways to do them, but... Friends, how many of those YouTubers, and I'm not slamming on YouTubers, it can be anybody, it's how much of it is fleeting like chaff? Do you know what chaff is? If you a wheat field, you take the head of the wheat and you rub it together and the grain starts to fall out and then there's a bunch of the, the skin that's around it, right? And I, I used to do this growing up on a farm. I would take the wheat because you can eat the wheat and chew it and sort of, they always said it could turn into gum and never did for me, but it tasted good. And so I, I, I would take the, the rubbing, and then I would drop it like this, and I and I blow the chaff away, but the grains would fall into my hand. And Scripture is saying here that the wicked, the unrighteous, what they are living for, what they are pursuing, and even though they appear to be famous and doing well right now, they are like chaff. The brevity of life. Those of us getting older know how life is brief. Briefer than we ever thought. They're like chaff. You know, that chaff, I think it takes take the idea of a peanut, you know, at a Texas Roadhouse or something. You're crunching it. You got, you got the skin around the peanut. Who wants the skin? You know, you flake it off, throw it on the ground. I want the peanut, right? It's an image that's good for you to carry because some of you are jealous of other people right now. Stop being jealous. 
If you are a believer and a follower of Jesus Christ, your sins have been forgiven. You have been transformed. Your name is written down for eternity. The Lord Jesus Christ knows you when you pray to him, even when you lament to him and complain, those kinds of things. He's right there for you. But in the end, we prosper if we were in Christ. And the wicked, they are blown away like chaff. Therefore, verse 5, the wicked will not stand in the judgment nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous. For the Lord watches over the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked leads to destruction. End of Psalm. Six simple verses to lead off the 150 playlists of the Hebrew people. The grand alternative to sin is joy and delight in God and His truth. For in the end, and in all things, through Christ, you will prosper and you will not face destruction. Amen? Amen. And amen. I'm going to invite Joe to come up. I asked him to do this. I don't know how he's going to meander his way through this summer. But so many of our worship songs come from the Psalms. And so as we close here this morning, the ushers are going to come to receive the Lord's tithes and offerings as well as your commitment cards.